you open your Bibles this morning to Lamentations, the fifth chapter during the season of Lent, we've been working our way through this heavy and, and difficult book of the Bible, but we have identified the reality that love is glorious, love is wonderful, God's love for us, our love for one another, our love for God, but that love has a painful side because when we open our lives and we open our hearts, uh, we expose ourselves to the potential of being hurt. Uh, we make ourselves vulnerable to loss and disappointment and, and, uh, and all kinds of hurts. And so Lamentations has helped us be able to have the courage to identify that and to, to name our grief and our sorrow and talk about it. And so in the fifth chapter, we're going to sort of wrap that up and bring it to the foot of the cross as we think together about love's sorrow and about uh, the experience of living in the shadow of the cross, worshiping in minor key. Before we do that, I'd like to invite you to bow your heads for a few moments of meditation, to just soak in the wonderful blessings of the Spirit of God already experienced this morning, to just breathe a thank you, maybe voice a prayer for some one you're burdened for or some struggle in your own life, and, and also voice a prayer of preparation for the Spirit of God to speak to you through Scripture today. Our loving and merciful God, we are aware this morning of love's sorrow. We pray that you will open our hearts in repentance, open our hearts that we might be surrendered to you and to your will, Open our hearts to the mystery of suffering that we may be able to name the pain and to trust you more deeply. And open our hearts to the new work, the fresh thing that you want to do in our lives. We pray today beyond our walls, beyond our city limits, that you might tend your flock, First Baptist family, with the aches and the struggles, the cancer diagnoses, the surgeries, the struggles with aging, the struggles with family life, the pressures of parenting, the peer pressure of youth. We pray, dear God, for your larger world beyond us uh, that violence might end in our world. You might cause wars to cease. You might bless and protect our troops who are scattered everywhere on the earth. And Lord, yesterday all over our nation, we saw an outpouring of uh, protest of violence. And no matter our political persuasion or thoughts about answers and solutions, we sense that, that hunger and longing in our land for an end to violence. We pray that you might work in us to make answers to our own prayers. And God, bless us in relationships. Help us that our words may always be tender, that our listening may always be real, and that our hearts will always be open. And guide us as a congregation to live out our mission. And may our mission be one of faithful listening as we sit under the authority of Scripture today. We wait with anticipation. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. Amen.
Lamentations chapter 5, 22 verses. This is the last Sunday in the series. Hang on. It'll get better. Easter Sunday's coming. This is heavy, but it's important. Listen to every word. I invite you to stand if you're able to do so. Lamentations 5, beginning in verse 1. Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to aliens. We have become orphans, fatherless. Our mothers are like widows. We must pay for the water we drink. The wood we get must be bought. With a yoke on our necks, we are hard driven. We are weary. We are given no rest. We have made a pact with Egypt and Assyria to get enough bread. Our ancestors sinned. They are no more, and we bear their iniquities. Slaves rule over us. There is no one to deliver us from their hand. We get our bread at the peril of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin is black as an oven from the scorching heat of famine. Women are raped in Zion, virgins in the towns of Judah. Princes are hung up by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. Young men are compelled to grind, and boys stagger under loads of wood. The old men have left the city gate, the young men their music. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. Because of this, our hearts are sick. Because of these things, our eyes have grown dim. Because of Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Why have you forgotten us completely? Why have you forsaken us these many days? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Just to do a quick review to make sure that we are all on the same page thinking about the context of the book of Lamentations. The people of God, Israel, had had their glory era with King David, King Solomon, then a divided kingdom and continual disobedience. And finally in the year 587-586 B.C., long before Jesus was born, uh, there was this enemy that overran the country, laid siege to Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and then humiliated the people of God by literally carrying them off in exile uh, to Babylon, the conquering nation's homeland, carrying them away and destroying all of their dreams. Now, the narrators of the book of Lamentations are standing at ground zero of all of that pain. And they're telling us in words that are, that are very graphic what they have experienced. And they give voice to our pain and our suffering too. I see in the book of Lamentations a movement and a maturing of those voices. Uh, they are beginning to come to grips with their sins. That's a maturing process. There's something about suffering. 
not all suffering is a result of our sins, but suffering will cause us to examine our lives spiritually and to ask ourselves if there are things that we can cleanse and purge out of our hearts with God's forgiveness. And so it's interesting that in verse 7, the the narrator says, our ancestors sinned. That's why we're in this mess. And then by verse 16, we have sinned. It's not just that our forefathers and foremothers have sinned, we have sinned. Isn't that part of the power of this season of Lent, this long six-week journey that we've been on, to be constantly reminded of our frailty, to be able to say and to acknowledge and to confess we are sinners in need of grace, in need of forgiveness, in need of restoration, and to be able to name that. See, that's a maturing process in the midst of suffering. But I also see a maturing in their lives in that they are, while acknowledging that not all the calamity in their lives is due to their sins, some of it's just that randomness of creation and life, Uh, they're able to be mature enough to name their calamities and to name their brokenness, and that somehow gives them voice and gives them power to be able to talk out loud about it, which is what we all need, to be able to talk about our suffering, to be able to name it. In fact, the laundry list is provided for us here in the, in the fifth chapter, a sort of summary of all that has crumbled around them, the crumbling of so many things. And I want you to see on the screen the laundry list of all that, that has fallen apart. Uh, the crumbling of family life, verses 2 and 3. Our inheritance turned over to strangers, our homes to aliens. We've become orphans, fatherless, mothers are widows, and on and on. The crumbling of economic and social structures. We must pay for water we drink, the wood we gather, even though it's our own, we must pay for it. The yoke is on our necks. The crumbling of national security to the point where Judah had to make pacts with enemy, other enemy nations, Egypt and Assyria, making pacts with, with those that actually weakened them because there was no national security. And finally, verse 18, there is the crumbling of spiritual assurance because even Mount Zion is destroyed. Speaking, of course, about the destruction, the literal destruction of the glorious Jewish temple that was their pride and their joy. Now, you'd have to understand something about Jewish theology to realize how central the temple is to their faith and the temple was to their faith. In fact, in many of their minds, if the temple was gone, God was gone. No temple, God must have left us. And that's the pain they're dealing with. That's the struggle they're dealing with. All of those things have crumbled and so much more. They don't know where to turn because they feel like God has disappeared. And so they ask, why? Why, God? You ever ask those questions? You know, where is God in all of this? I want to show you something that has helped me uh, and, and really has opened some doors for faith for me. God is silent not absent. I read this in preparation for this sermon series, uh, and one of, the, one of the authors said this, and it's such a simple sentence, but it's so profound. 
And at first I wasn't going to put it on the screen because it's so few words. Go back to, the, to that one uh, if you can. God is silent, not absent. There, there's so few words, but it's so important. I mean, how would our faith change? How would our faith change if we could, if we could separate those two? That God is silent, but that doesn't mean God doesn't exist. That doesn't mean God is absent. It's, it's hard for us to grab hold, but, but what would change in your life, what would change in my life if we could really trust God and believe that? And of course, we put our suffering in perspective, what we call suffering. Eh, it's real to us, but not as large as some. And, and now I'm ready for that next slide, because on the, on the wall of one of the death camps, one of the Nazi death camps, someone had written this poem and it has survived from the Nazi death camps. I believe in the sun, even when it does not shine. I believe in love, even when I am alone. I believe in God, even when he is silent. To believe in God, even when God is silent. To believe in God, even when we can't hear any voice explaining things making things okay. And see, the, the climax of everything that's been said in Lamentations, maybe in verse 20, just two verses from the end, three verses from the end, verse 20 of chapter 5, why have you forgotten us completely? A bold question to ask the holy God of the cosmos. Why have you forgotten us completely? Why have you forsaken us? That's honesty, isn't it? And, and that leads us gently, quietly, reverently to the foot of the cross because we hear Jesus in Mark 5, 34 saying those words that we read earlier, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we sing that hymn so often. When I survey the wondrous cross. And we sing that phrase, but we don't think about it. Sorrow and love flow mingled down. At the cross and in the cross. Sorrow and love, through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, are dripping down to the ground. As Jesus is suffering for us. Now, Here's a thought, and I want to put it on your doorstep, and you can decide now or later today whether to open the door and take it in. What if Protestants, particularly evangelicals, move too fast past the cross and past suffering? What if we need to linger longer at the foot of the cross and contemplate the mystery of Jesus' suffering instead of rushing on to resolution. See, I think as Baptists, we have down pat, the cross is about Jesus paying for our sins. Praise God, let's move on to resurrection. Wait a minute. It's not just in the cross that he paid for our sins. It's in the cross. He suffers. He suffers. 
we are very insistent as Protestants that our crosses do not have the body of Jesus still hanging there. Because we say, I was taught as a child, I was taught growing up as a youth, that's because Jesus isn't still there. That's because of the resurrection. Yes, but what if we have something to learn from our Catholic sisters and brothers and others who have crucifixes with Jesus still hanging there? Because maybe there's more about suffering we need to learn, but we don't want to stay there because it makes us uncomfortable. Now, if this upsets you, I'll be at the door after church. But I think we need to think about it. Because we rush right by. Because we think we have to have resolution so quickly. We, we are uncomfortable with suffering. But Jesus has so much to teach us about suffering. Let me give you a practical example of what I'm talking about. Two weeks ago... I introduced you to uh, a wonderful pastor uh, to refugees, Saw Waldo. And we heard his choir sing a song he'd written because they are refugees in Thailand having fled Myanmar or Burma. And there's like 40,000 in that camp. Word and Way wrote a wonderful story about it in August. And and. Saul Waldo wanted to give voice to because he's a refugee to refugees, and some of them have been refugees for 30 years out of their homeland, and they keep wondering where God is and how God's going to eventually answer their prayers. And Waldo made this statement, I'm wondering why the champion of the weak and vulnerable, the God of freedom, is silent. How can we believe in a personal God in a world where refugees' basic rights are denied and violated. I mean, talk about honesty. But I want you to listen to what he says next. It's not on the screen. That sets the stage for it. Thinking about the suffering of Christ, he says, as he answers his own question, despite what my people and I are suffering, we still believe in God. We believe in a crucified, executed God. A crucified and executed God. And we find in Christ's suffering transformative power. We find in Christ's suffering, in his poverty, comfort. We find in his loneliness and abandonment, comradeship. The sufferings of Christ actually provides them a way to go forward because his abandonment, his execution, his crucifixion helps them come to grips with their own execution, their own abandonment, their own crucifixion. Now what we've been doing in the five... uh, the Sundays uh, in this Lenten season, we've been worshiping in minor key. We've been reading a, a book of the Bible that is written in the minor key. Musicians will tell you minor key is tough. It just doesn't feel as natural. 
and you won't fill a lot of concert halls with everything in minor key. Because people like resolution. Most of us would like those major scale harmonies where everything's just pretty. But in Christ, God is calling us to himself. Particularly in Christ's sufferings, God is calling us to God's self. And I believe Lamentations talks about that because right after the verse 20 that says, Why have you forgotten us completely? There is this plea in verse 21, Restore us to yourself. Do you hear that? The writer of Lamentations doesn't say, God, restore us to a building. Restore us to a religious movement. Restore us to the way things used to be. Restore us to a doctrine or a building or a concept. No, restore us to yourself. God loves us so much that in Christ he comes after us. He wants our hearts. He wants us as persons. He wants us, our lives, our relationship. And yes, we are sinners and in Christ we are forgiven. We are lost and in Christ we are found and delivered. We are hopeless and in Christ we are given satisfying and eternal relationship. But don't forget, we are suffering, and in Christ, our sufferings will ultimately lead to glory. But we have to wait with Jesus at the foot of the cross. We have to linger there longer than we want. But God's pledge is... Through suffering, there will be glory. Amen? Let's pray together. We thank you, mighty God, for your truth that feeds us and challenges us. Open our hearts to the new journey that you're calling us to, whatever that might be. Amen.